0: Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. This episode is part of the DAO mini series, which is a crossover series between the Brave New Work podcast and On the Other Side, where we talk all about what DAOs can learn from self managing orgs with Aaron Dignan and Rodney Evans from The Ready, who are the hosts of the Brave New Work podcast. They are experts in the world of self-management. So this series is all about super short, bite-sized episodes where we talk about very specific topics and explore what DAOs can learn from self-managing orcs. Before we get into that, I want to give a quick thank you to Rabbit Hole for sponsoring On the Other Side. Rabbit Hole allows users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. The long-term vision is building the open credentialing system for Web3. And to build that system, it's important that they're decentralized. The Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in checking out Rabbit Hole or joining the Pathfinder program, you can learn more at rabbithole.gg pathfinder or check them out on Twitter at rabbithole underscore gg. All right, let's hop into the show. On this episode, we are going to be talking about something that was mentioned in a previous episode that has been burning in my mind as a question for the past week that I've thought about at least three times every day. And I've been like itching to have this conversation. So the question is, what is this notion of marketplaces and self-managing orgs? For anyone who didn't listen to the last episode, we were talking about these foundations for the ready that Exists throughout the org. And one of them was this idea of creating marketplaces. And I just need to know everything about that, because I'm so curious in the context of DAOs, what that actually looks like. So if you guys can give like a broad overview of what that even means and what it looks like, I would be thrilled.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, this is a fun one. And I remember distinctly when we started scratching into this uh, area as well. It's an eye opener. But essentially, the idea is that If you're going to try to control what's happening inside a community, an organization, what have you, centrally, then you can have the traditional hierarchical power structures and and ways of distributing work, for example. Like who's going to work on what on Tuesday? Or who's going to come in on Monday on the schedule? Or what projects are we going to fund? All those things are controlled in a more central way with a handful of people. But if you start to move into decentralized organization, which could be self-management or a cooperative or a DAO, um, you need a different way to allocate resources and make decisions about who's doing what. And so the model that that we've been using is of the marketplace. So if you think about like the marketplace of startups and companies and service providers and vendors, they all organize to create the economy. They all organize to create the internet. They come together around very simple rules about basically anyone can engage with anyone and do business with them now inside an organization there's a little bit of a difference which is that there is this boundary around it that we control about who's inside and who stays and who goes but on balance the idea of a marketplace is at least for certain kinds of decisions can we just let the agents in the system collaborate and do business with each other to like decide who's going to do something so at the ready for example When it comes to who's going to staff a project, it is what we call a marketplace model. So if a project comes in the door from a client, and someone on the team is maybe the person that found that opportunity, or at least is trying to build a team to serve it, they're going to the team and saying, hey, I have this opportunity, does anyone want to work on it? And then they may get 10 hand raises, but they only have two spots. And now it's a marketplace model of all right, well, there's demand from the market to do this role. I get to have some say in who's going to fill it. And between those two things, we basically make a choice just for that project about who's going to work on it. Same thing would be true for the initiatives that we launch and how we fund those, um, how we staff those. A lot of it is about letting the system decide where the resources and the people are. And what's neat about that, and then I'll shut up for a second and see if, if Rodney wants to add anything, is like. The market does a lot of the hard work for you in terms of reputation and progress and and where people should be. Because if someone's a really tough collaborator and they're hand raising for projects, but they're not getting picked over time, you're going to see there's a pattern there. There's sort of a, a you know a pattern that's telling a story. Sometimes that story is a story of bias or exclusion or something that we need to change about the way the organization works. And often this the story is a story of just like, this person's not a good fit for this work or for this organization and the way we do it. So the marketplace becomes kind of a, a self-cleaning mechanism over time if it's working well. What would you add to that, Rodney?
2: Yeah, I would build on your very last point, which is hmm. I see a lot on Twitter about, you know, how to handle people who are not contributing or not, you know, carrying water or whatever. And to Aaron's point, the marketplace the sort of two-way nature of a marketplace does take care of a lot of that in our marketplace it, and i think everywhere that this is not just this is not unique to the ready but but there's often this like archetypal hand waving like there are people who want to signal contribution and interest but they're not known to like carry a lot of water in the work and what happens over time in our marketplace and i've seen this in clients that have done this work is that those people either then need to sell their own work or create their own line of business or spin up their own P&L or find their own customer because that's the only way they can sort of feed themselves. And I would say, I think that's very healthy. Like, I think that's a very healthy way to quote unquote, I hate to even use this word, but performance manage in a very decentralized way. So that's my only build on what you said. The, the thing I would say is Aaron, really described a lot of the internal nature of this, what's cool about the external facing or the edginess of this, whether you're talking about a community or customers or users or whatever, is that the marketplace becomes a filter that really informs the strategy. So if a company comes through the door at the ready, you know, if Philip Morris comes through the door, it is unlikely (laughs) that someone who is currently supporting a pharma that's doing vaccine development is going to jump off that project to go work on Philip Morris. So rather than a CEO or a centralized function like in a traditional company saying, well, Philip Morris could pay us a lot of money and is a huge company, so we better go after this. Who's going to do it? Sort of holding feet to the fire. If there are no humans and there's no interest, then that's a signal and we just let that go. And that happens routinely at the ready where it's like the, the trade-offs happen not from a hierarchical Stance, But in a very decentralized way, that's like there are many moments as a person who works in our growth circle, where I say to the marketplace, I'm about to tell these people no, because no one raised their hand. Okay. (laughs) And it's like that, that's how that should go in a healthy and dynamic system. So it's cool in terms of the kind of filtering and matching and dynamism that happens within the membrane. And then it's also cool in terms of the way it magnetizes the right kinds of work to the membrane.
1: I'm really glad that you brought that up too, because it it points out the importance of the membrane.
2: Yes, if totally. The
1: people making the selection of what was in and what was out for themselves were not values and principally aligned with us it'd be Mm -hmm. a huge problem. Mm -hmm. But instead, the membrane does all the work of like, once you're in the inner circle you're in, and you have some sense of coherence with who we are and what we're trying to do and the purpose, then we trust you to have all these decentralized decisions just happen at a marketplace level.
2: Yeah. Okay, so Chase, that was so much so much babbling from us. How does that land? And how does that square with your three times a day ponderings of marketplaces? (laughs) It makes so much sense. And it was not babbling because it was like
0: (laughs) very rich in insights. I want to make sure tactically I understand something about the system. So, when you have someone who approaches the ready to do a certain type of work, you have basically a marketplace of people who can take on that work.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then what is the actual decision? Or you have people who are going out and sort of selling, which is maybe a weird way to put it, but like selling the services of the ready. Mm
2: -hmm. What I'm
0: trying to understand is at that moment of, okay, cool, this is the type of work that needs to be done. Who is actually in charge of saying, if 10 people raise their hand, I'm picking two?
2: Yeah. So right now, as the growth steward of that circle, I hold a decision right around choosing the project steward. So what that looks like in practice is if a project comes in to the ready as a growth steward, it it is unlikely that I'm going to steward that project. I'm just going to shepherd it through the pipeline and contracting and things like that. And what I'm going to say in a Slack channel is, okay, company X wants to work with us. This is roughly what the scope is going to look like. I need a project steward that I can hand the ball to to finish the contracting and scoping and see it over the line. Now, if five people raise their hand, which at the ready, never happens because we are always oversubscribed. So that's one thing just to say is like in a really healthy marketplace, you're probably oversubscribed. So the 10 hand for two slots thing is going to be less of a problem for you than it is in a traditional organization where you've got a bunch of bench resource that's looking for something to do. But that being said, if there were a situation where there were two hand to be that project steward, I might say to them, I want to talk to each of you about what this opportunity is and really find the fit. And that might be based on other industry experience or there are a lot of times it's based on availability. A lot of times I get a hand raise. It's like, I'm going to be free for three months and then I'm committed in August. And I'm like, cool, it's a 12 month project. So no. So, so I'm sort of doing that like dance of finding the fit. If there were a situation, which has never happened, but if there were a situation where there were two qualified project stewards who both ready to go, both lined up super logistically, I would probably ask them to decide. I might ask them to figure it out or I might have a three-way conversation between us to to get it to get it sorted. Or if both of them were really hungry for it, I might say you two be the duo on this rather than one project steward then going and building the team out from there. So there are a variety of ways to get at it. That's happened many times where, you know, two people had interest and they sort of figured out among themselves who wanted to really steward the lead and who wanted to play second in our system because the steward is not the boss of the thing and stewarding is just kind of a pain in the ass in a lot of situations (laughs) because you're dealing with like procurement and setup a lot of people are very happy to defer that responsibility to someone else so so yeah and and then from there once you have a steward in place to shepherd the lead till the end then it's up to them to build a team and me as growth steward i have no say in that. And then they're going to do the same thing that I did with them, which is post in a Slack channel. Okay. This is the project. We have two spots. This is the time zone. This is the type of work. This is blah, 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 blah. And this is where a lot of rep stuff comes into place because if I'm a project steward that nobody likes working with, I might not get any hand raises and people might decide they'd rather not be on a project, which means getting paid a lot less money and wait for the next thing, then work on that project with me. And so this is also where like the healthy tension of reputation comes in. Because if I'm somebody nobody wants to collaborate with, and they're willing to like effectively go hungry instead of working with me, that's an interesting signal. And then my only option is to go to the market and try to hire and onboard and train someone to do that thing with me, which is basically impossible.
1: And the only thing I would add to that is that that is the scenario where the work comes to us. There's also a scenario where an individual member of the network somewhere finds a piece of work and is the de facto steward, and then they have to do the same thing that the one that Rodney ultimately collaborated with had to do. So there's like both things happening, and it's not 50-50, but they're both double-digit percentages of the time.
0: So the project steward's only role is basically... Curating the right group of people to take on a project and defining scope and roles and all that stuff,
1: yeah, I mean, you could almost think about it it's it's very it's not that dissimilar from a circle or a team squad pod steward, which is like your job is that that the purpose of this thing is is manifested, and that usually means staffing and some of the like early infrastructure setup, et cetera, and then just general looking after shepherding. But if you set the team up correctly, and the conditions correctly, yeah, it's not, you're not doing a lot of air quote leadership.
0: Hmm, That's really interesting, because I feel like in DAOs right now, we tend to have this thing where yes, the people who put up a proposal tend to be the ones who do the work on it. But they're also leading it usually in a way that feels like it's sometimes a little bit more Mm hands-on and what it feels like you're talking about is actually a little bit less hands-on in the sense of like management traditionally yes and a lot more of like creating space and curating a
2: container for that thing to thrive that's exactly right and to one of the conversations that the three of us had earlier this comes down Very much to role clarity as opposed to like management structure. So, what I expect of myself as a project steward is that I'm like the holder of the OS for that project team and that I'm the making sure that we do have things like role clarity and an operating rhythm and working agreements that we need and things like that. But I'm not deciding all of that or imposing all of that. It's more like It's more like just being the de facto holder of the container rather than just hoping that someone does it. But it's not being the holder of the container and all of the contents where you're like, and Chase, you do that. And Aaron, you do that. And this is how we use Slack. It's more like I'm going to make sure that like the operating rhythm is scheduled on the calendar and that like we have the resources we need and we've clarified roles and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's like have the right conversations. Yeah. I have a follow
0: up question which is more of a definition thing because Mm. I have seen people from the ready tweet about operating systems, but what, and I know this could probably be its own entire episode, like very high level. What actually is an operating system in a self-managing organization?
1: Yeah. So we, we use the operating system uh, term of art just to get people thinking about the fact that these are all interconnected ideas. And so for us, the OS is all the foundational principles and practices. So what do you believe and what do you do in the areas that make up kind of the soil of the organization and its culture? So things like, what do you believe and do around purpose, around authority, around structure, around meetings, around resource allocation, around membership, around feedback and mastery, like all those sorts of things that make up the way of working we call that an OS. And so, you know, different organizations have completely different OSs. You could be like, hey, how do you hire and fire? And they'll say, it's for this and this. And then you go to another one, completely different set of beliefs and practices. And so it is the encoding of those principles and practices, either by implicit habit and norms or by actually writing the shit down that makes an OS happen. And then everything else is built on top of that. So if you have a really whack authority structure and your beliefs about authority are really dated, it's going to limit the possibilities of what the organization can do. And by the same token, if you have, you know, very interesting, different progressive ideas, it'll have a different set of impacts. So OSs are all about trade-offs, but it's all about those fundamental principles and practices that shape the everyday life of people in New York.
0: Sounds like DAOs need to start establishing their os's which yeah. i know already has a bunch of resources on
1: i think yes. sam just wrote a article about this
2: actually he did. he did specifically for DAOs.
0: this is part of why it's been coming up for me because i think it's a very new concept for DAOs, but one that's also incredibly useful i've been thinking a lot about articulating some of these things in the sense where yeah we're going from like Implicit to explicit is the way that Tanisi put it on Mm -hmm. Twitter. And I loved that because that's like exactly one of the challenges, I think, because we tend to think that ambiguity will somehow create emergence, which is obviously (laughs) not the case. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Give me a flock of birds with ambiguity and check out how cool they fly.
0: They will not all just running into each other. It would be an absolute mess. This was incredibly insightful.
1: Yeah, it's fun to talk about. Now I think there there may even be like a marketplaces part two.
2: Yeah, there should definitely I'd, be a marketplace. So many more, so <laughs> much more to say about marketplaces Nugs. and what they should be designed for and how they can be run and all the things. And also maybe, um, you know, just a shout to, as folks are listening to this, we would all love your very specific and nerdy questions about a topic like marketplaces, but because you know, we could talk about them forever, or we could tell you what you actually want to know. Well, until then, this was such
0: a fun conversation. We'll continue to experiment with different marketplaces and things. And I'm sure we'll continue this conversation. A Twitter space would be really fun for this topic in particular. Let's do it. The tactical knowledge is the thing that I think really gets people like going, you know, they need to understand what's happening, but also like the fact that what you're talking about has actually been implemented in practice and isn't just like, theoretically, humans should do this. It's just like the best. It makes things so much better.
2: Yeah. All right. I made myself a note for us to schedule a Twitter space to do that very thing. I think that that totally makes sense. And like, um, you know, one thing in your in your burgeoning org design education to think about is like, if you think about an OS and everything that we just talked about, there's the OS of the DAO or the company or the organization. And like, there's an OS of the marketplace. And it's like a, a lot mm. of the same thing. It's all, you know, it's turtles all the way down. There's an OS mm-hmm. of the hiring circle. Now you don't want those things you don't, from a purpose perspective. You don't th- want those to contravene, The OS of the collective, but there is a level of specificity in terms of what the marketplace is designed to do. So if Mm. the ready has a has a principle around participation at a marketplace level, what are the structures that foment participation? Hmm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, like the
0: OS is sort of a universal rule of most of these things. And there's a way that they engage with each other. But that's really interesting. Yeah,
1: they're nested. It's and, fractal. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. the, the DAO sits in the OS of the crypto space, which sits in the OS of the economy, which sits mm-hmm. in the OS of the culture. So it's, it's yeah, like she said, turtles all the way down. And the trick is to figure out basically what can you instantiate that will actually sustain in the midst of all those other OSs <laughs> that matches your values.
0: That's so interesting because that also sort of frames tension as conflicting OSs in yes. some ways. Yes, absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. That's so interesting. Wow, that's a really good mental model to use. That's like what I'm always in search of is like the mental model. Because otherwise it's just too, it's so hard to navigate things. Right. But that's a really cool mental model to use
2: broadly. Have huh. I told you about my potted plant? analogy for tension no okay so this might be useful to you in your os tension mental mapping i think of tension in the os the way that you think of plants in a pot so if the pot is too big for the plant then there's too much water in there and the roots rot and die. And if the pot mm. is too small for the plant, then the plant is outgrowing it and the roots are too big and then it also dies. So, mm. in the example that you gave, if the OS of an adjacent body or the the super body is in conflict. And like they are rubbing up against each other because our strategy and the strategy of the larger Tao are different and they cannot coexist. That's like the plant's too big. It's that kind of tension. If there is not enough constraint or enough structure, that is the other kind of tension where like the absence of clarity or constraint or whatever also lets the thing die. And so Mm. this is like a way to think about tension because people often think about it as friction and think it necessarily being things rubbing up against each other. But it can also be too much space, which is a Mm. lack of something that's explicit or clarified or constrained enough to let good stuff emerge.
1: Which is how DAOs are going to get messed up.
2: Yeah. The pot's too big in DAOs for the most part.
0: Yeah. And the amount of ambiguity makes it really challenging where... Maybe even the tension manifests internally because you, you can't yeah. quite identify what is wrong, but you know that it is frustrating. But that ultimately actually is sort of a symptom of something bigger. Yeah, exactly. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.